Welcome to the Jazz Shapers podcast from Mishkondorea. What you're about to hear was originally broadcast on Jazz FM. However, the music has been cut or shortened due to rights issues. This is Jazz Shapers with Elliot Moss on Jazz FM. Listening colour. In partnership with Mishkondorea. It's business, but it's personal. Welcome to Jazz Shapers. This is where, of course, you should know the drill by now, but in case you don't, it's where the shapers of business meet the shapers of jazz, soul and blues. My guest today is Rick Lewis, a founding partner of Tristan Capital Partners, a real estate investment management company and a lot more to boot. A standout pupil at his high school in Massachusetts and the first in his extended family to go to university, studying economics at Dartmouth, Rick believes a chance encounter with a family acquaintance, a career advisor, was vital. As he says, the reason I do the work I do is because I'm the product of someone intervening at the right time. As a senior partner at real estate investment manager AEW based in the US, Rick moved to the UK in 1999 to found the European I'm Curzon Global Partners. Nine years later, when AEW was sold, a difference in values with the new owners led Rick reluctantly to leave. He formed Tristan Capital with his former clients opting to join him. Alongside this, Rick has long been an advocate for improving less advantaged children's access to quality education, in particular through the Black Heart Foundation, which he founded in 2000. We'll be chatting to Rick very shortly about all of this and how vital it is to know your superpower. We've also got brilliant music from, amongst others, Miles Mosley, Hugh Masekela and Junior Wells. That, ladies and gentlemen, is today's Jazz Shapers. Here's Art Blakey and the Jazz Messengers with Children of the Night. Art Blakey and the Jazz Messengers with Children of the Night. We've got great music here today. Rick Lewis is my business shaper, as I said earlier. And the reason I knew who Rick was as I walked in here today was that it said on my notes, he's six foot ten. So you may be the tallest guest I've ever had on Jazz Shapers, and that's saying something. It's always good to have a title. (laughs) (laughs) Now, so far. beyond, Beyond the big frame, there's some incredible things I want to cover today. It's really good to have you here. Tell me a little bit about the day job, and I call it the day job because we're going to come on to the, not just the one side hustle, not just the two, not just the three, and not just that, but a sense of real purpose that you have you have in your life. Tell me a little bit about how you fell into the world of property investment and how it's enabled you to do so many things with your life. Yeah, so I've been, the business, the day job is real estate investment management. We effectively invest capital for pension funds, for endowments, for sovereign wealth funds and for wealthy families that act like institutions and the part of their portfolio that they invest in alternatives, you know, is our responsibility for a number of clients all over the the globe. But more than that, you know, I think, you know, we are experts in investment and we're in managing risk. But I think, you know, what we've done or what we pride ourselves in doing is I think we've created an incredible culture around a business idea. And so what I really like about it is in addition to putting up exemplary performance that helps people take care of their future and their retirement, we've created a, an environment where people really feel like they can thrive and grow. And that is part of the ethos and passion that I have that I bring to other parts of life. So to some extent, 
whether this was the forerunner or this is an extension of how I live everywhere else, you know, it's the same thing that I'm doing mm. in the community. And we're just doing it in the company. I'm going to come to culture and I'm going to come to community, but there's the craft skill of what you do, which, of course, by now, X number of years in, you, you don't, I imagine you don't take it for granted, but you probably don't think about it in the way that you do other things because it comes naturally to you. If you go back to when you first started in the business, what did you need to learn? Well, the first pieces are you have to learn the basics of your craft. I mean, you know, because I'm in investment management, you have to be facile with investment, with numbers, with value, et cetera. But that really is just part of the picture. I think to be successful in anything in life, you've got to find a way to bring passion and curiosity and, you know, and your own style and excitement to anything you do. And I think that's part of it. So the basics, I think everyone in our firm, you know, has the raw you know, deep intelligence to be able to do this job and is trained somewhere in finance, economics, accounting, investment management. Yeah, so that's the raw basics. But I think what sets us apart as a firm is the culture of the people that have a curiosity to excel, you know, to, to drive themselves in pursuit of remarkable, as I call it, you mm-hmm. know, and, and that's the difference. You know, it's, I think the difference between a company that exists and a company that excels is, is the passion that's in between. And I think that's what we try to spend our time on. From the outside, people look at the world of investment management, whether it's money, whether it's property, whatever the asset might be, and they say, that looks like a kind of a cold industry. I mean, that's, what that, that's been the narrative for many years. That seems to me the antithesis of what you're talking about. So help me understand how you bridge from this thing, which looks like I take a pound, I take a dollar, I'll make you money, I'll build you something, I'll develop something. Tell me how passion and curiosity play a role in that. Yeah. So I think at first, you know, from the outside, you know, it, there is a piece of that is really technical. And if you don't have the technical ability to perform and actually make money, then you're not going to get clients. But really deep down at the heart of the business, we're in, it's a trust business. What you're selling, and that's a slightly grotesque word, is you're selling confidence and integrity and authenticity. Because what someone's doing is effectively is saying, I'm trusting you with one of my most precious assets, which is my money. And what I want to know is not only that you have the technical ability to care for it, but I want to believe that, like, you know what you're doing. So when, I, when you're talking to me, you're conveying that, like, this is a scary time or the markets are changing, but I've got this. And I know what you want and I know what you want to happen with this basket of capital. And I've got this. So the ethos or the personality behind the firm has to be, of course, we have to be competent, we have to be expert, and we have to be creative and find different things in markets and challenging opportunities. But in the end, what I try to tell our people is that what we're really conveying is the confidence that people say, when I'm scared and I can't watch it, I'm really confident that you can and that you can handle this because that's what we're really conveying to them. And on day one, when you eventually spun out of Curzon and it became Tristan, did you convey that to your people? Did you convey that to your clients? Is that what has remained at the, at the core of what it is that you think you stand for? Yeah. Or, did, or did that evolve? Well, I think when we, when we spun out and started Tristan, it was almost our client's idea. And it's because of the relationship we had, relationship of trust and confidence that we had with them. You know, when we, you know, the very short story, when we were wrapping up and Curzon AEW and the different ownership and stuff, and I decided to leave, I thought I was going to take time off to play a little bit more golf and spend more time with my two lovely daughters. And the clients were like, no, you're not. Like, we're coming with you. And I was like, I don't have a business plan. They're like, we'll make one because we're coming with you. And it wasn't because I'm the most brilliant investor in the world. I think I'm a good one. And I think my team is, 
exceptional too. What it really was about is that they're like, I actually like spending professional time with you. I trust you. I don't want to find somebody new to trust with my most precious resources. And so it's a huge compliment, but it's also a huge responsibility. And so what we try to do every day is just to build on that. And in terms of the leadership of this business, we're now 11 years into it. You've now built a significant size client base. You have significant investments under management. You've got a big team and so on. What drives you? Because at some point we're going to, I mean, I want to talk about the whole you, Rick Lewis, the philanthropist, the giving, the person that wants to give back, that wants to change the world, that wants to intervene yeah. in the way that there was an intervention yeah. in you. But what drives you before we tip over onto that side of the river? I think the secret is, and I, I know our clients know this, is that I feel, you know, and maybe this is retrospective and, you know, retrospective viewpoints are always twenty twenty, but I feel like I could have applied myself in a number of different areas. Um, so I like real estate. I like real estate investment management. I like finance. But what I really like is building teams and organizations that outperform their expectations of themselves and the expectations of their community. So that's, that's my real passion. So building a team, a company, a culture that people say that aspire to be like, I want to hang out with them. I want to go to their party. I want to give them my money. I want to be with them. I'll joke about it, like the cool kids culture, which is like, actually, like they have this thing and I just want to be part of their thing. That's where my passion is. You know, I want to build organization events, initiatives that people aspire to be part of because they're doing something exemplary or spectacular. But very early on, beyond the business, there was then this, this thing that said, Rick Lewis is not going to be on this planet to build a business and make some money. Right. There's something else. Yeah. Was there an epiphany? Was there a burning feeling inside of you from a very young age that you were always going to do something else beyond making a buck? Because that's the bit I really want to yeah. just try and work out yeah. where it popped up from. For me, it was, it was in me for a long time. And I've spoken about this in other venues, you know, from the values of my parents and how hard they worked and what they gave. I don't know why I had an understanding of that at an early age, but I knew I had a responsibility to perform, to thank them, to show my gratitude for the sacrifices they've made. I've also spoken in different uh, situations about my maternal grandmother who, you know, had a very clear vision about her making sacrifices to effectively contribute to our family, to build a village that would be better for us, and that effectively, without being pedantic or cruel about it, she was saying, now you have a responsibility to me and to the village to extend the village. And so that's always been part of me. And so from an early age, I was already volunteering and giving back. The eureka moment that I think you're talking about is somewhere along the line, I was like, wait a minute, I can bring some real economic empowerment and numbers and scale to this. And that's what my business life has done for me. I have some financial resources to contribute so I can show people that I'm not just talking about it, I'm putting my own money in it. But also I've created now, I think I'm on my fourth life, right? So we can talk about what those stages are, but I'm at the fourth life where I'm considered uh, an accomplished venerable professional and leader in the community. And it just struck me like I'm still that cheeky little kid that I was like, okay, wait a minute, I got some power. I'm going to go bring it to the things I have passion about. And so that's the, that's the crossover moment, which is like, look, I've got this energy and power and followership. Well, I guess I'm just going to bring them to my party now and have them do what, what I think is interesting. And I know that's for good. So that's, that's the connective point. 
Today we to find out what happens at this great party that Rick Lewis has created and is creating. He's my business shaper today and he'll be back in a couple of minutes. But first we're going to hear from one of our partners at Mishkondorea some words of advice, I hope, for your business. Hi, my name's Nadim Mir and I'm a partner at Mishkondorea in the private equity team. A key thing to be thinking about if you are looking to raise funds is, given that it is maybe less difficult than it used to be to raise the money, if you do have a good growth story, then actually you are in a pretty good position to maybe be a bit more choosy as to who you partner with. Um, And I think a, a key thing to remember is that when you go into this relationship with an investor or group of investors, you do need to see it as very much like a relationship. It is effectively a marriage of sorts. And obviously we know the best sorts of marriages tend to be the ones where both sides uh, go in with their eyes open um, and they're both supportive parties to uh, to the marriage um, and where people think they can work well together. So it's not necessarily about the party that's going to leave you with the most equity or the one with the biggest checkbook. It's about the party who you are going to get on well with, work well with, and hopefully, and say, live happily ever after with. Jazz Shapers on Jazz FM. In partnership with Mishkondorea. It's business, but it's personal. There are lots of former Jazz Shapers for you to enjoy, and of course you can hear this programme again by asking Alexa to play Jazz Shapers. And there you can hear many of my recent guests. Or if you pop Jazz Shapers into iTunes or your preferred podcast platform, you can find the full archive there. But back to today, it's Rick Lewis in the house talking about a party we're just about to have. He's the Executive Chairman and Chief Investment Officer at Tristan Capital, a real estate investment management company. But much more than that, if you've been listening, and I hope you have, what Rick has really been doing is creating a team with passion, with hopefully a great competence, but something around a purpose that goes beyond. And that's where we got to this bridge moment when, as you're, you mentioned, your grandmother said, was your responsibility, not yeah. in an aggressive way, but just that you take it on. When success comes financially, um, people go, I've met many people, and there's a whole spectrum. I can draw the axis from left to right. Some people mm-hmm. really care about number one, yeah. and some people go completely the other way. It strikes me you're way over there way over on the other side. Tell me a little bit about the kind of vibe of this party, the atmospherics of this party you want to create and the sort of people that you want to come into it. Well, there's two things, and I probably get to hit on one because anyone that's listening to it that knows us knows actually we have become legendary for the parties we throw. Real parties. Real parties. Real parties. That's a metaphorical concept. And we started as like underground thing, underground events, but now people know if you get invited to that party, you go to it. I'm looking great. forward to the invite. Great. You're, you're in. Thank you. Absolutely. I went to Good, great, clean, fun. But, but what we did is even that, there was a method to our madness because we were creating community. We're creating followership that we actually bring to other things. You know, it's, so at some level, people just said, great music, great food, great drink, great, the right people in the room. But subconsciously, what they're saying is, if they tell me something that's important to them, I'm going to pay attention because it's always fun or important. And I think... That's what we're trying to do. And so the party I've been trying to create is to move my friends, whether they're from the world of sport, entertainment, business, et cetera, to go, look, this guy has integrity and authenticity and he's open and honest and he's fun to hang out with. And so if he tells me that there's something going on I should pay attention to, I will. And that's what we're doing with the Blackheart Foundation. The other things we're doing is that I've got a bunch of people that are saying, 
hey, this is actually cool and sexy and doing good. Like, what's not to get along with this? So just give me a little snippet around what the Black Heart Foundation does. Set up in 2000, non-profit organization, which I know is around improving education access for underprivileged children. You've got your ImpactX Capital Fund as well. Just give me a little, here's what this is about so people understand what it is that you're doing. So the Black Heart Foundation, as you said, founded in 2000. And what we do is two things. Uh, we try to provide support to programs in the community that provide encouragement, tutoring, pastoral care to what I'll say is underrepresented or under-resourced young people that are talented, hungry, focused, but need a little bit of guidance or help. And so there's a bunch of community programs that are doing that, and we provide some economic and, and sometimes some non-economic help and support to that. The other thing that we do and that's grown substantially is now we have a Black Heart Scholars Program where we provide bursaries and scholarships to talented young people that have been on the mission, have scraped themselves up the hill, got the GCSEs and the A-levels, and they've got places in universities, and they just can't figure out how they make A and B meet. And we've been providing the gap funding to those students right now. We've got 80 scholars at 45 different universities. They're at all manner of places, not all at universities, because in addition to classical education, there are a number of people that are doing non-classical things. Our goal is to just remove the barriers to aspiration and achievement so that young people who are talented and committed can pursue their inspiration without impediment. Now, you know, I get people here who always achieve ridiculous things. You were number one on the power list 2019, the annual list um, of the most powerful people of African and African Caribbean heritage in Britain. I mean, I say that in Britain, it's interesting, obviously, we haven't mentioned you're American. I mean, it's right. not very <laughs> difficult for people to realise that. Often I can say, are oh, you Canadian? That's always a good place to start, <laughs> much, much easier for lots of reasons. But um, the American here, Right. Lots of these recipients obviously have either African heritage, Caribbean, African Caribbean heritage, or Asian heritage. The value of that is enormous. Why here? Why have you made here home? And do you see the problems here in a different way to the way you see them in the yeah. US? So, so first of all, I want to say is so the Black Heart Foundation is, but it is not just focused on, if I can say, brown and black people. It, you know, yep. right now you're right. The the predominance of the awards and scholarships have gone to brown and black kids, but that. That's not our purpose. It's really underrepresented kids. And we're now trying to work on underrepresented majority kids that don't think that someone wants to back them and help them yeah. climb the ladder. So we're solving that problem. It is really valuable, and I hope I can say this in the right way. So I was doing this work in the U.S., you know, right from when I got out of university and stopped playing ball and all that stuff. Um, you know, I was doing this work. I got engaged with the I Have a Dream program, the Big Brother program. So I've been doing the work at the nexus of at-risk youth and education for a long time. When I came here, and I hope that people can take this in the right way, it felt like the U.S. in the 70s. The level of diversity and inclusion was like when I was growing up. And, and I was growing up in a fairly forward place in Boston versus the rest of the United States. You know, we're well-educated, you know, relatively diverse, but it was pretty darn backwards compared to where it is now. Mm -hmm. And I moved over here and I felt like, God, we're nowhere. The conversation isn't even happening. I, you know, I, I, I used to go to fundraisers and they would all be about animals and lifeboats. And I would ask the question, I'm like, what about the children? They're like, well, they're at boarding school, love. <laughs> no, no, not, not your children. What about the kids that need help? And they're like, we don't know them. I mean, now, the great thing is that conversation about social mobility and help and, you know, losing the potential of not having a diverse talent base and everything we want to do in this country has changed. Yeah. 
but the execution hasn't. So we've got 80 scholars out there. The potential to be 1,000 or 2,000 or 5,000 is right at my doorstep. All I have to do is marshal the resources and attention. There, there are so many talented kids. The number of applications I get that rationing just forces me to choose the best ones, like, you know, it's enormous. And so I can see that we're just starting to climb the foothills of a big mountain. Stay with me for much more for my mountain climber, Rick Lewis. He is the uh, man we're talking to today, my business shaper, and we're talking all about the scale of the opportunity as well as the scale of the problem. Time for some music right now. That's Hugh Masakela with Grazing in the Grass. Massacala with Grazing in the Grass. We're enjoying the music here. Rick Lewis and I, uh, he's my business shaper, founder, executive chairman, and chief investment officer at Tristan Capital. But also, as you've been hearing, the founder of the Black Heart Foundation, the founder of the Impact X Capital Fund, which I want to talk to you about as well in a moment. It just strikes me, though, before we go back in there, that you don't seem stressed. Yeah. Now he's smiling, going, ah, I hide it well. <laughs> yeah, of course we do. You don't seem stressed. You don't seem like a man in a hurry. And yet your your use of time, it strikes me, is incredibly smart. Have you learned this? Have you developed it? Did you work out many years ago your most important asset, your most important commodity was time? Was it something that struck you? Because I think yeah. it's much harder most people look like they're busy and they're running around and they haven't therefore got, they don't think about legacy, they can't even think about today. Tell me a little bit about your relationship with time. Yeah, I, like I, I, I feel like I'm at the good part of my life. And I think one of the most important things is knowing that you're there. You know, I'm at an area of accomplishment where most days I get to choose what I want to do. It doesn't mean that I don't have a big responsibility to our business. I do, and I work in that every day. But I get to choose what other things I say yes to and no to. I've realized that one of the big challenges is being able to say no more effectively. And so, and I've learned that. But you, you do quickly get to the place at this stage of your life where you realize time is your most valuable commodity. Then every once in a while, and you know, I don't want to be too morbid or anything, you have a life event or two, whether it's health or something going on, that just rearranges you and focuses you on what your priority should be. And for me, mine are really clear. You know, I want to have good health. Secondarily, my daughters are my, you know, are my next passion and responsibility and, and focus. And then after that, I want to do things that light me up and that excite me, you know, and, you know, and so there's plenty of things you have to do in a day, but with my spare time, I'm much more focused on the things that are going to make me more excited, more energetic, because you get that sense that like whatever number of years you have on this planet, they're finite. And so why wouldn't you use them to, for the things that excite you and, make you feel passionate and alive. And so I'm a, I think I'm in that stage of life, and that's pretty cool. And I imagine in any given day, there's a combination of work and a combination, and I call work, I'm mean, talking about Tristan Capital, and then there's a combination alongside that of the more philanthropic things that you yeah. do. There's a third element to this, though, for me, which is not only do you have your own projects and your own view of what the world ought to look like, and that's, I'm thinking about the Black Heart Foundation and Impact X, but you have a number of other responsibilities. I know these are generally 
turning up to the boards, having conversation with chairs, but they're still significant. You're a trustee at Dartmouth College. I believe that you're involved with the Belfast Centre for Science and International Affairs. There's a, and there's a couple of other things as well. How do you manage that? Is that simply they just fit in on top? Or is that a stretch sometimes? You sometimes go, I'm human and I'm tired and I've now got to have an hour's conference call. They're on the east coast of, the st- of America. Mm-hmm. I'm here and by the way, I've not got much to give. Come on, Rick, I've got to give. Is that, do you sometimes have to have that conversation? Yeah, so, so one thing, you know, early in life, and I think this was helpful and I don't know how I fell into it, but I've always split my life between three things. Family, so family, community, business, you know, and then the philanthropy piece. And so... When I'm doing one, it's not uncommon for the other ones to know that that's going to happen next. So my kids could see that in my life. You know, I'm in a business meeting and the next meeting might be a board meeting in our own conference room. And so at some level, I I found a way to make it more efficient for people to understand that that overlap was going to happen. But you're right. You know, there is difficulty. And every once in a while, you have to say, take stock and say, am I overcommitted? And so I do have to go through and I'm sure it's not a lovely word, but cull some of my responsibilities to focus on the ones you want. But the way I try to think about that is I'm pursuing more of my passion, not getting rid of something. And so I want to do it responsibly and make sure that I leave it in a good place. But every once in a while, I have to go like, you know what, I'm on too many boards or I've committed to too many things or I've said yes to too many speeches, presentations, et cetera. And you realize you're human. Go back to my priorities, health, wellness, looking after my daughters and having enough time with them present and focused on their lives. So, you know, is, is, there's a concept we have in the foundation, which is unlimited love, limited time. It means I love everybody, but life forces you to ration. So it doesn't mean that I don't have love for you. It's just that, like, I've got to choose. And sometimes those are Sophie's choices, but we've got to choose about what's most important and what you can be most effective at and be very realistic that, you know, when we talked, to, when I've talked about before about your superpowers, you can't and do everything. Stay with me for my final chat with Rick Lewis. Plus, we'll be playing a track from Junior Wells. That's in just a moment. Please don't go anywhere. Jazz Shapers on Jazz FM. In partnership with Mishkondorea. It's business, but it's personal. What you say going on The people say going to put the kid down. That was Junior Wells with Messing with the Kid. Rick Lewis is my business shaper just for a few more minutes. This rich life that you've created for yourself, and I and I say that in all sincerity, I mean, it is of your creation, it's your energy and focus. When are you at your happiest? I think, you know, around great friends. I mean, and, and that can be business friends or my personal friends. You know, I think... You know, some of my Irish friends say, we're not here for a long time, we're here for a good time. And like having the presence of mind to know that those few moments where everyone's laughing and telling stories and happy and, you know, out of the inevitable burden of your everyday existence, those are my happiest moments. Like, you know, whether it's three people or 10 people, sometimes it's even, it's even when we throw those parties, like I don't even have to be in the middle of the party, but just I can feel the energy of people going like, you know, this is additive. It's mm. geometric where people are saying, like, I actually like that I'm in the here and now. So I think those are my those are probably my happiest moments. 
And thinking about money for a moment, we haven't talked directly about it. Obviously, the business does well. You do well. What is your relationship like with money? Because, again, I meet all sorts of people where money for some people is their God and for other people it's their servant. It strikes me you're in the latter camp. But is there a... Do you worry about it? Do you like to know that X is in the bank or in the value of the business so that Y can happen over there? I mean, how does that equation work? Because we all have a very personal relationship with that commodity. I have many friends that like have this concept of there's a number and their whole world is striving to make a certain number. And I just think, you know, with no disrespect to them, because some of them are really good friends, I just don't think that's a great orientation in life. You know, I I don't want to pat myself too much on the back, but I've had a pretty humble orientation about money. And so I'm at a place, and, you know, this is a little controversial and not an invitation to call me to ask for some, I want to be clear, is that I feel like I've gotten the place where I have enough money to live on. You know, my basic priorities, like do I have a home, are my kids' education paid for? Like I'm not worried about the things that are the most critical parts of being what I deem as successful in life. Can I, like give my kids, my daughters, the opportunity and the freedom of choice to pursue whatever their dreams are like I want to do for other kids. So that's handled. So everything else is fungible. So why don't I use all of that fungible stuff to do some cool and fun and crazy things? To give a little insight, at some level, that's my foundation and doing things in the community. But then privately, sometimes it's just treating my friends and going like, yeah, we're going to go to Florence for the weekend. And I got this. I've got to take it. Because like, you know, people sitting there saying, like, well, why do you want to be that generous? I'm like, because this is my idea of fun. And if you're all having a great time, like, why isn't this a good way to spend a little bit of money? Mm. And so that's my orientation is that, like, yeah, I'm not going to take it with me. So let's figure out what we're going to do with it. Just before I ask you the last question, there's something else as I've been listening to you I've been thinking about, which is what a philanthropist can do is work within the system. They can essentially say, this is the structure. This is the macroeconomic picture. This is the problem with education, how it relates to kids from a disadvantaged background. Have you ever thought about changing the system? Have you ever thought about, as many business people are now, of going into politics and saying, this is just wrong? Or is that a place that you will not touch? Um, it's, a, it's a place that I will bounce off of, try to contribute, but I do not want to be consumed by it. I don't think that there's great ideas. I think that vested interest and who's wrong or right is more important than the outcome too often. So to some extent, you know, this is my protest vote. Like I want to work inside the system if the system wants to pay attention and contribute to delivering real meaningful change and results. But the foundation is that I'm spending my own money and money contributed by friends and that all of the overhead of everything we do is paid for by me. So if you contribute $1 pound or euro to the Blackheart Foundation, you know it's going to kids. That also gives me the freedom for no one to set the rules and the agenda. I know, like I can quantify what the results are. And so you can't argue with me that I'm using the money well. Now, if you want to partner with me or we want to have a talk about it, it's great. But I, I don't want to be consumed by your rules, your vested interest, which party's in charge, you know, what the with all great respect what the teachers union believes, you know, their vested interests because they want to survive are. And so maybe that's a little bit heretic or rebel, but that's how I got to live. That's why you're an entrepreneur, Rick. And that's why you're the founder of many things and you can do just what you like, which is great. It's been an absolute pleasure talking to you. Thank you. Thank you for your time. Just before I let you go, 
it's the what happens now if you were on that island <laughs> equivalent. Yeah. Although here you are, if you are in the jazz shapers world, yeah. um, what's your song choice and why have you chosen it? So, so it's Leon Bridges. I mean, I just love his musicality. He came on the scene in 2015, and there's a song called "Bad Bad News" that I think represents the attitude. I mean, like, you know, for me, it's a it's a hypothetical vision that like the kids that we're helping, this is their this is what they'd be saying or feeling which is that like, you know, people told me I was born to lose, but I made a good, good thing out of bad, bad news. That's just motivating. And it's just great tune and great musicality. Ain't got no riches, ain't got no money that runs long. But I got a heart that's strong and a love that's tall. That was Leon Bridges with Bad Bad News, the song choice of my business shaper today, Rick Lewis. He talked about building trust, the most critical thing in any business. He talks about being on his fourth life, which I think is a fascinating concept. Don't settle with your first, second or even third one. And he talks about the combination of family, business and community. And finally, I just have to throw it in, unlimited love but limited time. Really good stuff. That's it from me and Jazz Shapers. Have a super week. Jazz Shapers on Jazz FM. In partnership with Mishkondorea. It's business, but it's personal. We hope you enjoy that edition of Jazz Shapers. You'll find hundreds more guests available for you to listen to in our archive. To find out more, just search Jazz Shapers in iTunes or your favourite podcast platform or head over to mishkon.com forward slash Jazz Shapers.